0: Every day when my alarm goes off, I immediately Do my quiet time The only thing that gets me going is Prayer And cranking up my Christian CD There's this killer Youth worship And we go every
1: Wednesday and Praise Jesus
0: I can't wait to tell my girlfriends about this new guy I met
1: Jesus <laughs> He is so awesome Friday night we had this Bible study With a team across town We got deep in the word We can do it again Next Friday okay.
0: Imagine that. Just as a uh, beginning note, I'm actually, quick plug for all you youth parents out there, I'm actually working on a prototype for a device that would do just what you saw up there. Um, you just, you know, work it on your kids. I'm sure there'd probably be a demand out there for that. So, uh, you know, basically, you know, you just point and click at your kid, and instead of getting an, aw, mom, when you ask, to, you know, ask him to take out the, gar- the garbage, it would be, I love you, dearest mother. And I apologize wholeheartedly for the 18 hours of labor I put you through. <laughs> so, actually we, won't really, uh, we wouldn't want to do that even if we could, right? Well, uh, one of the things I like about that clip, one of the things I really enjoy about it, is that uh, it gets me thinking about the church. Uh, it gets me thinking about our church and the church in general, specifically the future of the church. Um, as it gets passed down to this generation, generation that was up on stage this morning, the generation in that video, the the millennials, as they've come to be known by uh, sociologists and so forth. It's the generation of kids that are coming up the ranks right now, coming up behind us. Um, It's easy for us to forget it, I think, but uh, it really will not be all that long before it's these guys who will be filling our pulpits, serving on our elder boards, Teaching our Sunday school classes, leading our kids choir, taking over our want programs programs—I'm uh, sure. My guess is that if you ask some of the wider, wiser, older folks in the congregation, they'd be nodding their head in agreement with me, I'd be saying, "Yeah, you know what? That day will be here before you know it. That day will come sooner than you think." Which also gets me—I think—asking this question, and that is: Is there anything being done in the church today to see that our young people will be ready? When their number is called, when they are handed by us the baton, and they're admonished to run with it, uh, are they getting equipped? Are they being given the tools that are going to help them advance the cause of Christ in their own generation? As I ask this question, I think, in at least some respects, you know, I would want to definitely answer with a with a resounding yes. Um, both here in, in this Temecula Valley, across the country. There are some young people out there, some students. We're seeing pockets of students who are just doing amazing things for the kingdom. They're they are standing strong for Christ uh, in their schools and their places of work. We're seeing some, some really strong testimonies take place from our, from our young, uh, young people. Some youth ministers, leaders out there, I, I would probably put myself in this camp, believe that God is going to do something incredible with this generation, that there is something powerful that he wants to do through, this, through these teens, through this age of kids who are just going to come, come up against a, a, a tough world and they're going to do some, some damage, if you will, for the kingdom. Um, I really do believe that. And uh, I've seen it even in our own kids here at RBC. Some of the students that we have in our youth ministry um, just blow me away with their maturity, with where they are at in their walks with Christ at this point in their life, uh, especially when I compare them to where I was at uh, in my life at this time. It's, it's awesome. It's just awesome to see. At the same time, though, uh, we're also encountering some evidence, some, some beliefs that point towards a somewhat different future uh, for this particular generation. A while back, I came across this quote um, from noted church st- statistician George Barna. That's not him, by the way. But um, George Barna, uh, this, this quote that he said continues to just come back in my mind uh, on a regular basis. He says, Today's youth group attenders are tomorrow's unchurched. Today's youth group attenders are tomorrow's in church. Now, obviously, being a youth pastor, this haunted me. This, this got my attention. Um, and he's not just speaking from conjecture. This isn't just an opinion. Um, it's more than that. He's basing it on a, a significant amount of research, uh, some extensive studies that he did amongst American university students, college students. Um, his discovery was that a shockingly high percentage of 18-, 19-, 20-year-olds despite being regular church attenders their whole life, growing up in the church, as soon as they got out on their own, as soon as they got out from underneath mom and dad's authority, they simply just dismissed their faith. Uh, Being exposed to a whole new world of ideas, philosophies, these students were suddenly finding their beliefs challenged and and suddenly they were outdated. They were stale. Uh, They were rather inconsequential when held up against the backdrop of our modern world other studies have done similar things said similar things to barna's the the typical numbers you see somewhere between 50 and 90 percent is what the estimated dropout rate is for christians when they get to college now even if we dismiss the high end say 90 is just preposterous it can't be that high and we, we we leave that alone I guess my question is, can we really say that even if it's only 50, that we're really satisfied with only losing 50% of our kids? It just doesn't seem to be the case for me. And unfortunately, this issue, in my mind, gets more complicated. It gets more compounded when we recognize and reflect on this world, the type of, of culture that our young people are having their moral and their spiritual compasses formulated in. I recently attended a two-day conference um, put on by Jim Burns, Doug Fields. They're a couple of veterans uh, in the youth ministry field. They've been doing it. They, these guys are in it for the long haul. Um, and these guys, as, as well as you know a number of others who work in the fields related to children, related to young people, they're looking upon today's youth culture, this generation, with a very noticeable sense of warning, caution, and concern they call this particular collection of young people, they call them a generation in crisis. And after hearing some of the data and figures, you you probably would want to agree with that. Uh, Take a second to consider this statistic. It says during the next 24 hours in America, okay, 24 hours from today, one day's worth of time, we will see 1,439 teenagers attempt suicide, 2,000... 795 teenage girls will become pregnant. 15,006 teenagers will use drugs for the first time today. 3,506 teenagers will run away from home. 16 children and youth will be killed by firearms. And 3,000 children and teens will see their parents' marriage end in divorce. Now, you all know as well as I do, that this culture we live in today Is, is largely uh, I would say not entirely But largely in opposition To the teachings The precepts of God's word We're seeing the fruit of this And what's going on In today's youth culture I think unlike any other youth culture We've seen before Consider for a moment where we sit As a society now From the perspective of sexuality Sexuality, the, the revolution gains momentum It's estimated that Teenagers will see a yearly average of 14,000 acts of sexual intercourse or innuendo on Prime Time TV. Of, the, of those 14,000, 94% of these sexual acts or innuendos are between two unmarried people. It's unbelievable out there. I, compared to even when I was in high school, not that long ago, I, just, I I'm amazed by the way in which our movies, our TV shows, our commercials have gotten sexed up in the name of culture in order to be more appealing, to be more attractive. But the bottom line is, it's, it's amazing to see the, the change just in a 10 year period. Of course, then you've also got the internet, which you know brings us to the fact that there are, the number of existing pornography sites has increased by over 1,800% to 260 million sites out there. Just in the last five years. That's the growth we've seen. Uh, Unbelievable still is the fact that the largest demographic of internet pornography users, the biggest group that uses this material, is 12 to 17-year-old males. Of course, dangling all this immoral and yet highly attractive behavior before our students' eyes so candidly is bound to have an effect on the overall teen promiscuity. And so we see that you have... Almost 39 percent of ninth graders reported to have had sex by the end of their ninth grade year, and that only goes up as we get to twelfth grade, to where it's around sixty-four percent, I believe, what that says, sixty-five percent. If you add to this, also the the fact that our generation is dealing with new dangers, new face, new new. new issues with drug and alcohol abuse. It's estimated that the prevalence of marijuana use among youth has more than doubled in the past decade, from the 90s to the 2000s. More than 10% of youth, apparently, ages 12 to 17, are currently users of illicit drugs. And we are seeing an increase in the availability of gateway drugs, what we would call alcohol smoking just plain old cigarettes these these are what they call the gateway drugs and despite what we see on commercials on tv it seems like it's getting even easier for kids to get a hold of these gateway drugs to get them caught up in the idea of addiction and then they go further and further because they want that next high you take all this and you add to it all of the incredible things that our young people are facing pretty much on a regular basis, in schools, at home. And oh, I would say, you begin to see my point of my earlier question. Our kids are being told, our, our church kids, we're, being, we're admonishing them to live out their faith in this world. And yet, they're in a culture that is, in my opinion, way more hostile way more intimidating than any of us in this room ever faced as we were growing up, if we grew up here in America. I really do believe that, that this is probably going to be the toughest time I think our generation, our church generation has ever seen to stand for Christ here in this country. And I think the question really comes back again to what would God have us do? As a church, with our teens, with this culture, what would God have us do to come alongside them? To, to, to nudge them, push them along, to, to help them navigate their way through their course so that they come out the other side more capable of moving and more capable of pushing the church forward in the power of the Lord in the years to come. What would the Lord have us do? What can we do? Well, to answer this question, and I guess before I say that, I want to be clear, I, I, I clearly believe in God's sovereignty. I clearly believe that when Jesus Christ said, On this rock I will build the church and and the gates of hell will not overcome it. I I, I really do believe that at the end of the day, the church is God's. He's going to have his will accomplished through it. There's no question about that in my mind. But this does not remove, I believe, our responsibility that we have, that's been placed upon us as the church to ensure, to, to, to assist this younger generation. I believe that is a call that we all have. And so I guess the question... What would God have us do? I want to I tackle that by, in a sense, asking another question, if you will. I'd like you to, to help me with this one. Um, what did God do for you? What did it do? What, what, what? I'm looking at a whole room full of people who have come through on the other side. Hopefully, a lot of you walking with God Walking strong, seeking to glorify him with your life. Seeking to, to gain him more, more and more each day. What, what was it that took you through this tough time, this adolescent time in your life? What key factors, what contributors were there that allowed you to continue on the path of the Lord? I'd love to hear from, from a couple of you. What, what was it, when you, when you think back on your time, what was it that stands out? as really pushing you on, as as getting you ahead, Gil. Great. Somebody else. What what stands out to you? What what was a key factor for your life, your faith? Anybody else? Or. Great.
1: Cool. Great.
0: Thank you. Somebody else. Anybody else? else? I saw, my mother, my mother, I saw my mother wear a Bible out
1: We're reading it. <laughs> I'm not going to come back on my own because she was a good example of how an adult can behave and how an adult has a relationship with That's great. You realize you can on yourself and then you that example. My mom was a very, very
0: good example of how an adult has a relationship That's a great word. It's great because I was hoping this would be the case, and, but it, what your responses basically suggest is essentially uh, where I feel the Lord is leading us, where I feel that, that the emphasis needs to go. Uh, when we're asking what would God have us do, I believe that above all else, it's come, it, it continually just comes back to mentoring, to mentoring relationships. You want to call it disciple-making, you can. Um, mentoring, the idea of, of getting yourself uh, in somebody's life and allowing them to see and, and feel and, and smell and taste your walk with the Lord. Uh, and letting that rub off you you know we're gonna we're gonna all maybe some of us will have a sermon that that touched us you know sometimes that will be the case some of us might have a camp or a program a specific thing but it's almost a universal thing when you ask this question when you talk to people that what comes back is a relationship a person an individual who took the time to just pump themselves into me that took the time to be there for me uh to pump their themselves, and and it, what it what it did is essentially caused us. For those of you who have experienced this, it caused you to say, "Wow, this person is amazing. This person's the real deal. I want what that person has. I want to be like that person someday." <laughs> Amazingly enough, those who even those who are in the world, right? Those who aren't in church, don't give a rip about God. They're they're well aware of the value of mentoring, right? The world, this is not a foreign concept to our world. How many of you guys uh, were fans of this season's TV hit show called The Apprentice? Anybody, anybody watch this out there? None of y'all? Wow, okay, a couple of hands slowly going up. Um, the Apprentice was, was about 16 people vying, competing for the chance to become the apprentice of Mr. Donald Trump, right? Mr. You're Fired himself, uh, these people were, well, I mean, amazingly enough, knowing Trump, they still wanted to become his apprentice. No, that's not true. Um, but the, the idea of the show was, was what? What did people tune in to see? They tuned in to see wise old Trump, right, give his advice. These people would run around for 45 minutes, and then at the end of the show, it always ended in the boardroom, right, where we got to see how Trump, what Trump thought of each person's acts, each person's deeds. He got to weigh and measure and evaluate people's opinions and and the ways they performed. At the end of the day, it was all about getting to listen to this wise sage of a businessman. Now, I have problems with the guy's hair. I'll admit it. And (laughs) I can't do that. I mean, I know that I shouldn't be one to to throw stones about this kind of stuff. But I'm sorry. I just, I do. And if you've seen it, you know what I'm talking about. But I'm not going to go into that. The bottom line is, hair or not the guy is an incredible credible businessman he has done some ridiculously amazing things with his with his wealth and with his ability to to reach out and and build business and rightfully so he is somebody that business people look up to and say that's that's what i want to become right i want to maybe not on the personal level but on the business end of things they want to be mentored by the great donald trump right Folks, Trump didn't make up this idea of, a, of an apprentice. He didn't come up with that by himself. This idea of a mentor, a, you know, instilling yourself in somebody younger than you, that's not something he came up with. Whether he knows it or not, he's just following along with a principle, with a premise that we find over and over again in Scripture. All right? you t- consider for a sec the Old Testament. Consider the nation of Israel and how often we saw God Instructing his people to build stones, build altars, build memorials when, when he had accomplished great works. Why? Because later on, their kids would be walking along across the desert or wherever outside their river and they'd turn and say, Dad, what, why is that stone there? Or why are those collection of stones like that? And it was an opportunity at that point for that father to then say, Well, son, and to explain how God had been faithful to either their family or to their nation or or to their history. God had shown up in a big way. And that was the opportunity for that father to to be reminded enough to tell his children and to pass on his faith, his beliefs to his son, to his daughter. You see it in the New Testament, too. Think about Jesus for a second. When he was out there trying to recruit his disciples, did he go up to Peter or anybody and say, hey, listen, I'm having a three-day seminar in a couple weeks. I really think you should attend. It's going to really give you some keys for life. Did he tell him to read his bestseller? No. He said, come and follow me, and I will make you fisherman." Follow me. Get, get with me. Spend time with me. Walk around with me. Understand and know me. That's the key. The more you do that, the more you're going you're to profit from just being near me. We see this also in the New Testament, right? We see it in in Paul. We see it in repeated scriptures where Paul is saying, be imitators of me, imitate me. He's saying, follow the example that I put out, how you ought to follow in our example. He says, brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern that you have in us. He says, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen from me, these things put into practice. It's my belief that if we desire to see the next generation in our church, if we desire to see these believers advance the gospel powerfully in in the power of the Holy Spirit in the years ahead, then we have got to get on board and fully embrace as a church, not just as a few of us, but as a church, this concept of mentoring, of disciple making. We've got to be people who Like Paul, say, "Hey, let me get in your life. Watch me, observe me. Let me show you the way I live, and let that teach you about how to walk with God." I have a friend who's a football coach in Whittier, which is not too far up the road here. He's a football coach. It's a public school. He teaches or he coaches on the uh, freshman team, and it's cool because he told me, you know, every year what he tries to do is essentially. During one of his talks, or you know, kind of early on in the season, he says, Guys, you know, I'm your coach, you know, I'll be here for you guys. I just want you guys to know, you know, I know this is a new time in your life. High school is a rough thing, there's a lot going on, but I just want you to know if any of you want to know what life's all about, if you ever have questions, if you ever have issues you're thinking about, come be with me, come watch me, watch me live. I'll show you how to live. I'll show you how to live. And I thought, man, that is really awesome, right? I was like, what, what do they say when you, when you, you know, typically you say that? I said, what, what's their response? What do they kind of tend to do? And he said they're floored. They're just blown away. He said all of them have people in their lives, you know, that are authority figures or whatnot. But typically what, what that authority figure does is say, here's what you need to do to live. Bang! And tells them this. Or tells them this. Or tells them, you know, do this or do that. Or follow this or follow that. He says none of them tell them, hey, just watch me spend time with me get in my life I'll show you how to live I'll show you what it's about it's powerful now I think what I hear is if I'm guessing some of you out there kind of scratching your head and saying okay hold on Jason last time I checked I wasn't up for apostleship anytime soon right I'm not up for recommendation on on that end of things in other words yeah it's fine for Paul to essentially say these kind of things, right? He was the Apostle Paul. But for me, uh, I don't think that's really something I can or should or want to say. I don't know that I I buy that. I don't think that that works for us if we are followers of Christ. A couple reasons why. I think the first reason is a couple times in here, he wasn't just talking about himself when he said, follow my example. He said, follow our example. Walk as we walk. That was referring to someone else in his company, probably many others who were in his church and he was discipling. He was encouraging people to follow after them just as much as him. It wasn't just a a one-man show that Paul was encouraging people to watch. More importantly, I think it's key that we check out what he actually says. He says, be imitators of me, just as I also am of Christ. You see, at the end of the day, I think Paul understood the power, the juice didn't come from him. Right? It didn't come from imitating Paul. The, the, the authority, the power, ultimately came from Paul in the fact that he was walking with Christ, that he was running hard after God with everything he had. And that if someone watched him do that, it would get contagious and it would cause them to do the same. They'd get hungry for God. They'd get contagious for the Lord. They would want to give their lives to Christ and live a, a godly, sanctified lifestyle. For Paul, it was, yeah, walk with, you know, be, follow me. But more importantly, follow him. Don't miss the fact that my life is ultimately about him. That's where the power lies. That's where it all comes from. I think that this helps us when we are tempted to make excuses in this area. When we're tempted to say, oh, I'm not going to tell somebody to to follow me. I got too much baggage. I got too many things going on. we're, We're good at coming up with the excuses, amen, for why we can why we can kind of shirk this responsibility, why we can push this off and say, well, Paul could do that, but not me. But at the end of the day, I think, if we're chasing hard after Christ, that's the example that we need to be given to others. And, and, and people will get drawn to Christ if, if we are truly, even if we're failing at times, if we're as a, as a whole life pursuing Christ and walking in grace and, and walking in that forgiveness, that's going to show. And that's going to reflect on others. Anne-Marie Naretz, I'm going to ask her to come up. She has a great word that kind of has encouraged her in these times where she's felt, you know, maybe it's, it's okay to make an excuse or, or felt that desire to make an excuse for why this isn't really a call for her. So, Anne-Marie.
1: All right, it's called No Excuses, and then I just shared some of my own little notes at the bottom. But It says, God's looking at how you live each day. The next time you feel like God can't use you. Just remember, Noah got drunk. Abraham was too old. Isaac was a daydreamer. Jacob was a liar and insecure. Leah was ugly. Joseph was abused. Moses had a stuttering problem. Gideon was afraid and poor. Samson had long hair and was a womanizer. Rahab was a prostitute. Jeremiah and Timothy were too young. David had an affair and was a murderer. Elijah was suicidal. Isaiah preached naked. Jonah ran from God. Naomi was a widow. Job went bankrupt. John the Baptist ate bugs. Peter denied Christ and was hot-tempered. The disciples, they fell asleep while praying. Martha, she worried about everything. And Mary Magdalene was... Well, you know, the Samaritan woman, she was divorced more than once. Zacchaeus was too small and unpopular. Paul was too religious. Timothy had an ulcer. He was timid. And Lazarus was dead. It's not where you've been. It's how far you've come. In the Word, there's a variety of unique individuals. I'm looking at a few right out here. All of you, even me, we're all unique. And God used them to witness for his name's sake. God's waiting to use you to your fullest potential. Seek him and ask him. Say to your Savior, Here am I. Send me. Break me. Use me to further your word. Equip me to be the most effective witness out there. And then pray. Ask the Holy Spirit to lead you and guide you and direct you. God needs each and every one in this room. Each one of you has something special to offer.
0: So clearly the need and the call is for mentors. And so I guess the question is, who is God calling you to pour yourself into? Who does God got in store for you? I've heard it said we all need a Paul and a Timothy in our life. Paul being the person who mentors us and the Timothy being the person that we're pumping ourselves into. I think it's easy for us to find that Paul a lot of times, right? We're pretty good about going after that, but a lot of times the going after the Timothy isn't quite so easy for us, isn't quite so common. I want to just encourage a couple of groups in the room uh, real quickly along these lines. The first would be parents. I want to just speak to you for just a second. And what I want to just encourage you with is the importance of you keeping your marriages intact and keeping them strong. It says uh, a mantra or a phrase I heard lately said, You want good kids? Love your spouse. And I believe that's so true. I think kids today need to see strong marriages. Your kids need to see your marriage being strong. They need to see you loving. They need to see you hanging in there. When it's tough, they need to see you persevering. That makes so much more difference. It gives kids hope. Hope in the Lord. Hope in themselves. Hope that what they can accomplish in their marriage someday is possible. And parents, I also want to just encourage you. I I shared this earlier, I think, this month, but... It's the statistics, the, the surveys show that the number one factor, the number one thing that, that spurs a kid on in their faith that gets them persevering and hanging in there with the Lord is not their youth group, it's not their friends, it's not their youth pastor. Darn. It's parents. It's you. It's you loving and, and showing, the, showing your kids by your walk with the Lord how it's done. They see it. They see it every day. They watch you. And they're learning just from being in your house by being there as you're growing in in your uh, relationship with the Lord to the rest of you out there to to those who would qualify in the others category I want to just be real clear I I was worried this was going to sound like some sort of a shameless plug to gain the world's largest youth group staff Uh, and just pull you all in you know we're just going to do this together but to be honest, I, I'm very aware that, that, that that's not the call on most of you. I understand if, if some of you are, are tug, feeling that tug, great, come talk to me. But I understand that that's not what probably a, a, a high percentage of you are going to be about. You're not called to that. But perhaps there is somebody that you are called to. Maybe there is somebody in your life that, that you're sensing is, is needing that touch. From you getting into their lives, from you showing them, "Hey, I'll show you how to live." Maybe it's it's a coworker, a woman who's struggling with with her kids, with her marriage. Maybe it's a guy at, at your work who, who is considering a divorce. I don't know, but I, I, what I guess is, I'm guessing in a room this size, that there's a number of you who have had, you've been experiencing the Lord calling, telling you to get into somebody's life, and you're ignoring it. You're leaving it alone. You're rationalizing in a way. You're coming up with excuses as to why it's not necessary right now. But I just want to encourage you, it is. And if the Lord is calling that on you, if he's asking you to get into somebody's life, to be this mentor, to be this discipler, obey him. Obey him. Get in there. The Lord wants to do amazing things, as Anne-Marie read. So just obey. And trust him. And ask him and trust him for the results. I believe really strongly that the future of the church is going to be determined by how strongly, how seriously we're committed to being people who are 1 Corinthians 11.1 1 people who look at the future generations and say, hey, watch me, observe me, walk as I walk in the Lord and let that challenge and encourage you and build you on through your faith. Because I believe that I'm going to end with a video here that we put together this week. Nathan Klein and Haley Taylor, two of our high school students, uh, went out and we essentially got them capturing people here in RBC, just uh, talking about the disciple or the mentor or mentors in their life, the people who made the difference for them and keeping them going with the Lord. And so I would just encourage you to watch this and, and reflect on on what it has to say about the impact that one life can have. So tell me, who impacted you most spiritually
1: as you were growing up? That would definitely be my grandmother.
0: My two younger sisters.
1: I would probably have to say it's it uh, was my lay youth leaders.
0: Gosh, I wouldn't say one person, it would definitely be a congregation, the
1: congregation of Mount Vernon Baptist Church in Meridian, Mississippi, where I went to um, church when I was little. Hey,
0: first of all, my grandmother.
1: Uh, Tony and I did not attend church together. We did not really raise our sons in a Christian home. I became very worldly. I thought, so Doug became the one who impacted his father and I both. Um, I would say the number one person has been my dad. Well, I would say was what my mother to start with. I would say, and after I grew grown up,
0: it uh, was my wife.
1: Um, the person who impacted me spiritually um, would be Anne Marie. Last uh, definitely last 10, 15 years, and over the last several years, has been my wife Sue and my friend Scott.
0: Now, I would have to say that there have been a lot of people who have uh, impacted me. Uh, people such as Joe Ryder, who was the first youth pastor here. Uh, Lou Dawson, Carrie Wacker. Uh, these are some amazing men.
1: What <laughs> sticks out in your mind most about this, these people? Just her sense of joy every day through all her trials has really helped me grow closer to the Lord and to just really um, trust in Him and know that He's going to take care of us no matter what. You know, Grandma was passionate for the Word of God. She was passionate for the Lord, and she listened to radio. She read her Bible every day, and she just oozed Jesus. Well, whenever I would do things I wouldn't, wasn't supposed to, my mother says, remember, the Lord Jesus is watching. As he is just so knowledgeable about God's Word, and I look up to him because of that. I go up to them quite often and ask them questions, um, biblical questions.
0: Seeing her praying every night, she would get on her knees and pray. Pray for each one of us kids in our home, plus all my cousins and, and everything. And that, I remember that. I mean, I, I
1: just have a vivid picture in my mind that will never go away of that. What sticks out most is finding out how many years they had prayed for me. Uh, they invested a lot of time in my life. Whether it was uh, going to their homes in the weekend or taking me down to New York City, going to an art museum, it was the simple things, but it was they were building into my life uh, some godly principles. Um, more than anything, just that they were very really loving, and um, they had time for a goofy nine-year-old kid who asked too many questions and was way too loud most of the time.
0: They were just loving simple people. Definitely that they
1: both you know, have a, a deep love for the Lord, uh, that they follow what the Lord says.
0: Well, for Joe, it was uh, just the fact that he was so open to anybody coming in and was uh, just wonderful with the gospel, didn't judge anybody. Uh, As far as Lou, uh, just his passion for the Lord and uh, the way he shared that with all of us young guys. And for Carrie, uh, the way he challenged me to get involved and uh, take up my responsibility.
1: So where would you have seen yourself ending up if these people, persons, had not been in your life? If my sisters hadn't been in my life, and if I hadn't followed the Lord, I hate to think of it. <laughs> where well, I would not have wanted to be. <laughs> well, I probably would not be on the mission field, and my walk with the Lord wouldn't be that strong. So I'd probably be just your average Joe in church.
0: <laughs> I was not on a good road, so I— who knows where I'd be right now.
1: And I'd probably be the pastor of Rancho Baptist Church, take Pastor Matt's spot, yeah. I could see myself becoming more worldly, less um, biblically sound in my behavior, manners, and my belief. Uh, Truly, I think I'd be dead spiritually or physically if Grandma had not been praying for me. Without that seed being planted um, that early in my life, I really don't know where it would have led, because without that seed planted, I had absolutely no knowledge of God.
0: Hmm. I would be a mess. Let's
1: just say um, people have helped pull me out of the depths of despair and has uh, really, truly impacted me and made my heart um, more passionate, more on fire for God, and I definitely would not
0: be where I am today. You'll notice there was no references to apostles, no references to super Christians. It was just people who loved the Lord, were willing to love people. And as Tom Marsala put it, they just oozed Jesus. Uh, I love that. I think that is is ultimately what we're all being called to. So as Sean comes up to uh, close us in prayer here, I would just encourage you, please be praying about who the Lord would have you uh, impact. What life does he want you to make a difference in? Mm -hmm. Sean.
1: Um, Dear Heavenly Father, I'd like to come before you now And thank you for this wonderful morning, Lord uh, That we just all get to gather in your name And I'd like to thank you for uh, Also this uh, opportunity for the youth to serve in this church uh, And this Sunday, Lord And I love you and just... uh, Bless the rest of our days today as we leave, and in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.